0: What a blessing, and uh, what a blessing it is to hear God's people singing his praises uh, with joy, with rejoicing, with conviction and faith. I want to begin this morning by taking you back to a, a fateful day in history, October 25th, 1854, and the event is the Battle of Balaclava. The Earl of Lucan, a British commander, he was commanding the British Cavalry, receives an order from Field Marshal Raglan, the commander of the British army. Quote, Raglan wishes the cavalry to advance rapidly to the front, follow the enemy and try to prevent the enemy from carrying away the guns. Now, when Lucan, the commander of the cavalry, received this message, he was confused. Unlike Raglan, who was up on a hill and could see the whole battlefield, Lucan was in a valley and he couldn't see hardly anything except for a long valley in front of him. And Lucan could not see any guns being carried away by the enemy and he didn't know what Raglan meant by advance rapidly to the front. So he questioned the order, but the brash young officer who had delivered the order to him as soon as he started to question the order, just shouted at him, "'Your orders are to attack, sir.' Lucan responds, "'Attack what? What guns?' "'There, sir, there is your enemy,' said the messenger impatiently, vaguely waving his arm in the general direction of the hill, which Raglan could see, but Lucan could not. "'There are your guns, and your orders are to attack.'" Still confused, Lucan complied and gave the order for the cavalry to advance, and the infamous charge of the light brigade began. But instead of going forward and then veering right to attack the lightly defended hill that Raglan had in mind, the light brigade charged straight down the heavily defended valley right into the mouth of the enemy artillery, and into withering fire from all three sides. So 20 minutes later, almost half of the men were dead, wounded, or captured, and the light brigade was effectively destroyed as a fighting unit. I shared this event from history to illustrate something, and that is this. If you don't clearly and correctly understand your orders, you'll charge, but you'll charge in the wrong direction. You'll bravely charge towards the wrong goal. The Light Brigade found out the hard way how important clear and correct understanding of orders can be. The results of misunderstanding your orders can be disastrous. For us as the church, it is also the case in the spiritual battle. It is vital that we understand clearly and correctly the orders given to us by our commander, by our Lord. If we don't understand what our mission is, we, like the light brigade, will veer off in the wrong direction and it won't end well for us just as it didn't end well for them but here's the good news unlike the light brigade our orders are not confusing or ambiguous see the orders that raglan gave to lucan were vague they were ambiguous they could be misunderstood and therefore misapplied but the good news is for us is that our all-wise lord the lord jesus has not left us with vague, confusing, or unclear orders. He has given us crystal clear instructions about what we are to be and what we are to do. Our mission, beloved, is the Great Commission. For almost a century, Calvary Bible Church has been committed to one and the same mission, and that is the Great Commission. Now, over the years, we've Communicated, different pastors and different elder boards have communicated that mission to the congregation in various different ways. During a 90 plus year history, there's been multiple generations and multiple ways of explaining and mobilizing the congregation, but the mission has always been one and the same, and that is the Great Commission. The Great Commission was, is, and by the grace of God, always will be. The mission of this church. So, today we're beginning a new sermon series. It's going to be a nine week sermon series in which we'll be studying key biblical passages from which the elders have derived our mission statement, our core values, and our vision statement. Now, what is a mission statement, a core value statement, and then a vision statement? Well, our mission statement describes why we exist. What, what is our purpose? Why are we here? Our core values describe who we are, the character of the church that we aspire to be. And then our vision statement describes where we hope to head in the future. In other words, the mission statement describes our spiritual purpose, the core values describe our scriptural priorities, and the vision statement describes our strategic path in the future so i want to dive into the passages from which the elders have derived these key guiding statements for our church and i want to begin with our mission statement how have the elders defined our purpose in our mission statement. And the question that is being asked is, why do we exist? Why why is there a Calvary Bible Church? Why are we here? What is our core purpose? What is our mission? And the elders answer that question in the following way. Calvary Bible Church exists to multiply disciples who glorify God by going to all peoples, gathering in community, and growing in Christ. Calvary Bible Church exists to multiply disciples who glorify God by going to all peoples, gathering in community, and growing in Christ. Now, when you look at that statement and you really boil it all down, the statement says that we are here for one key purpose, and that is to multiply disciples who glorify God. That is why we exist as a church. We exist to multiply disciples who glorify God. And then the statement says that we seek to accomplish that key purpose in three main ways, by going to all peoples, right? By going to the lost, sharing the good news of the gospel with them, by gathering those who believe into the loving fellowship of the church, and then by growing in our love and obedience to Christ. So going, gathering, and growing. So that is what this church is all about. That is our mission that is our driving motivation it's who we are it is our purpose and the reason that i'm so confident that our mission statement faithfully and accurately articulates the commands of the lord jesus is because it is essentially an outline of the great commission How can we know that this mission statement is an accurate and faithful reflection of what the Lord Jesus wants us to be and to do? The answer is that we sought to derive it directly from the outline of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and that will be our text for this morning. Matthew 28, of course, is the chapter in which Matthew records the fact of the resurrection. And the Gospel of Matthew ends in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, with the great commission of our Lord. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the great commission of our Lord. Now, the first thing I want to direct your attention to is the first phrase. It says, and Jesus came up and spoke to them. Now, when I was preparing, just to be honest with you, I I totally skipped over this phrase in my studies until towards the very end. Because it just doesn't seem very important to say, you know, someone came up to someone and said something, right? That happens all the time. Someone comes up to someone and says something. It happens all the time. But here's what doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen all the time that the one who comes up to someone and says something to them is someone who had been crucified, dead, and buried. That doesn't happen. Jesus came up to them and spoke to them. He who was crucified, he who was placed in the tomb under Roman guard of the tomb for three days and then was raised to life, he, the living one, the resurrected one, the living Lord comes up to them and he speaks to them. Jesus came up to them. This means that the one who was crucified for our sins has risen for our justification. And he spoke to them. That means that whatever he's about to say is divine revelation from the risen one. It is divine revelation from the risen Lord, the one who has conquered death. And that means that what follows is something that every mortal heart should strain to hear. We're about to hear divine revelation from the risen one, the living one. So what did the risen one say that day when he came up to the disciples and spoke? He said, quote, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Notice, not just some authority, but all authority. And not just in heaven, but also on earth all authority in heaven and on earth in other words jesus is the king of kings he is the lord of lords he is the highest and absolute authority higher than me higher than you higher than the supreme court higher than the president higher than the mightiest of the mighty and the greatest of the great all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. The Greek term for authority here is the word exousia. It's an interesting word because it's built upon the root usia, which means property. It means to have ownership rights over something. In other words, Jesus is asserting his rightful ownership of both heaven and earth. It belongs to him. He is the king, it is his kingdom, and he owns it. He is sovereign. He is the sovereign one with absolute authority over heaven and earth. When you study the classical and Koine Greek uses of this term, authority, exousia, we see that this term describes having both the right to make decisions and the might necessary to carry out those decisions. Jesus has the right and the might to exercise his authority in heaven and on earth. Standard Greek lexicon BDAG defines this term as, quote, a state of control over something and having, quote, absolute power. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament defines it as the absolute possibility of action that is proper to God alone as the source of all power and all legality. Vine says that this term conveys, quote, the power of one whose will and commands must be obeyed by others. The power of one whose will and commands must be obeyed by others. The Lord Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has the right and the might to accomplish his holy will. He is the sovereign Lord of all. And that, of course, has huge implications. Huge implications. It means that there is no spiritual or earthly power who can thwart his will. No spiritual or earthly power, can thwart his decretive will. It also means that the Great Commission will succeed because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It also means, by the way, that no human authority has the right or the ability to countermand or contradict what Christ has commanded. He's above them all. And the implication of this for us is vital. Imagine you are a believer right now in North Korea. They have a dictator who claims to be the highest authority and he forbids worship. He forbids the preaching of the gospel. There's a higher authority than him. Therefore, believers throughout all times in history and all places do not need nor do we seek permission from any human authority in order to worship the Lord and preach the gospel. We don't need permission from lower authorities when we already have a commandment from the highest one. So if human authorities forbid what God commands or command what God forbids, or seek to exercise authority which God has not delegated to them, then we must obey God rather than men. Let me repeat that. If human authorities, be it Kim Jong-un, be it the Taliban, be it some future ruler, if human authorities forbid what God commands, command what God forbids, or seek to exercise authority that God has delegated to the church or to the family and not to them, then we must obey God rather than men because we must obey the highest authority. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, all other authority is delegated authority and therefore limited authority. Christ, ultimate and absolute authority, has huge implications. It also has implications for you and I individually in terms of how we think about our own rights and our lives. His absolute authority means we have no right to live for ourselves. No right to live our own way. No right to set our own agenda or find our own purpose in life. Can I tell you, you don't have to search for your purpose in life. The Lord Jesus has written for you your purpose in life. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. That's your purpose. That is your purpose, and mine, and ours as a church. Beloved, we do not have authority over our own lives. Jesus, who is Lord, is the one with authority over my life and yours. He is the potter and we are the clay. He has exousia, ownership rights over his creation. You are a created being and he is your creator. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Christ died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died And rose again on their behalf. The Christian is someone who no longer lives for himself. He lives for Christ who died and rose again on our behalf. Another implication is that we have no right not to do right. No right not to do right. James 4.17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You have no right not to do what is right. We have no right to disregard the Lord's commands. We have no right to live selfishly, no right to live for frivolous and temporal things rather than scriptural and eternal things. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And beloved, we have no right to neglect the great commission, the commandment of our Lord, the great mission that he has sent us on. We have no right to ignore or neglect it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Have you ever come to that point in your life where you say, woe is me if I do not proclaim the gospel? How could I waste my life on other things? How could I neglect this great commission of the Lord? Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Beloved, the reality of Jesus' authority should both comfort and challenge us it should both comfort us and challenge us because he has all authority. That is so comforting. If you were one of the persecuted Christians in North Korea, think how comforting that would be to you. It is not Kim Jong-un with all of his military might and his dictatorial powers who has the ultimate authority. It is Christ, the loving one, the holy one, the compassionate one, the one who died and was raised to life. It should comfort us to know that our kind and gracious and loving Lord is sovereign. And that means we should look forward to the future with anticipation, not anxiety. Jesus says, why do you worry? Why are you filled with anxiety about the future? Do you not know, the prophets say, have you not heard? Right, the Lord God Almighty, he is sovereign. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Christ our Lord. So we don't know what will happen in the future, but we know, Romans 8, 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a comfort. The authority of Jesus is our comfort. Verse 18 is an incredible verse of comfort. Who has the authority? Is it Nero? No. Is it Kim Jong-un? No. Is it the Taliban? No. Is it any government, past, present, or future? No. The one with all authority is our loving Lord. A great comfort. Notice that the commission begins with the comfort of Christ's authority and ends with the comfort of his presence. At the end of verse 20, Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The phrase there is I'm literally with you day by day to all the way into eternity. The one who has all authority is the one who is present and will never leave us or forsake us. So the authority and presence of Christ are our great comfort. But it is also a source of great challenge to us, because if the one who has authority has commanded us to go and make disciples, and if he is present with us day by day, then we are accountable to obey his command and to fulfill his great commission. So the authority of Christ should not only comfort us, it should challenge us. The question before us is, are we fulfilling our purpose? Are we fulfilling the purpose he has given us individually? Are we fulfilling the purpose he has given us as a church? The elders have summarized that great mission as multiplying disciples who glorify God by going to all peoples, gathering in community, and growing in Christ. I want to now show you how that statement, that mission statement, is derived directly from the content and the structure of the Great Commission. In verse 19, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, to understand the Lord's command here, the Great Commission, properly, you need to understand a little bit about its grammatical structure in Greek. In the Greek text, there is one main verb and three participles. The main verb gives us our mission. And the three participles tell us what we need to do in order to accomplish that mission so there is one main verb with three supporting participles one mission and three steps or actions that we need to take in order to accomplish it so unlike field marshal raglan's unclear and vague order which led to the demise of the british cavalry our lord has given his church clear orders which contain not only a clear statement of our objective but also clear instructions as to how we are to accomplish that objective he has given us one objective expressed by the main verb and then given us three vital steps or actions that we need to take in order to accomplish it And those are expressed by the three greek participles in these verses so what is our mission What is the objective given to the church? What is written down in our written orders here in Matthew 28 from our commander-in-chief? The answer simply is we are to make disciples. We are to make disciples. The main verb in the Great Commission is which means to make disciples or to disciple someone. It's an imperative, it's a command. And Jesus gives this command with the absolute authority that he just mentioned in verse 18. Notice the connection. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Because I have all authority, go and make disciples. In other words, this is not optional. It's not if you feel you have the gift of evangelism. It's not if you want to volunteer. Friends, you don't need to volunteer for this. You've been told by the one who has the right and the authority to volunteer you what you need to do. It's not optional. It's not if you have time, not if you feel g- gifted, not if you feel ready. It is a command to be obeyed. And since make disciples is the main verb, Jesus is telling us that this is the objective, the goal, and the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make disciples. So, if we're gonna do that, we better know what a disciple is, right? If you're commanded to make disciples, first question that comes to my mind is, well, what's a disciple, right? We're supposed to make a disciple, what is a disciple? The root of the Greek term for disciple is an interesting one because it simply means a learner. We are to make learners. It refers to someone who follows someone else in order to learn their teaching, and their way of life. A disciple follows someone in order to learn both their teaching and their way of life. A disciple is different than a student. A student only listens to a teacher. A disciple follows him. A student is only interested in the teacher's knowledge. A disciple is committed to the teacher's way of life. It's not just... Learning the teacher's teaching, it's learning his way of life. It's imitating him and following his ways. That is what it means to be a disciple. You are to be a learner of Christ, a follower of Christ, an imitator of Christ. You are to be a Christian. And I hope that the implications for the mission of the church are already obvious. In the definition of a disciple someone who follows the teaching and ways of Christ because we are not to be just students who listen and are interested only in the academic knowledge we are to be followers our mission is not to build an audience who will listen to the teachings of Christ our mission is to multiply disciples who will follow the way of Christ Do you understand the difference? We are not trying to build an audience who will listen to the teachings of Christ. We are trying to build disciples who will follow the way of Christ. In other words, growing a crowd and growing a church are not the same thing. And we're not called to grow a crowd, we're called to grow a church. Living stones who together are a holy temple for the praise of the Lord. You know, in modern America, you can grow a crowd pretty easily. It doesn't seem to take much. Have good teeth, wear cool sneakers, put on a good show, and tell people what they want to hear. Right? That's the formula. It works. Clearly, it works. Have good teeth, wear cool sneakers, put on a good show, and tell people how wonderful they are. You can draw a crowd. Who doesn't want a free show and a free pep talk? Can I tell you something? There's no human method to build a church, none. There's human methods by which you can build a crowd, but there is no human methodology by which you can build a true and alive church. Why? Because only the power of God saves Only the power of God transforms. Only the power of God takes a dead soul and breathes life into that soul. Only the grace and the power of the gospel transforms someone from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Only the power of God working through the gospel can make someone a living stone and a holy temple unto the Lord. There is no human ingenuity that can do that. There is no method, there is no human plan that can do that. That is a work of God. So we must be people of prayer. We must ask God to save. We must ask God to redeem. We must ask God to produce fruit. Dear friends, being a disciple is so much more than just going to church. The question is, do you follow Jesus? Does your life look like his? Is his path your path? Is his mission your mission? Are his priorities your priorities? Are his words and ways your words and ways? Do your footprints overlap his as you follow the great shepherd? The great shepherd leads and you are to follow trying to match his footsteps as closely as possible. I remember when I was a little kid, you know, we'd be like in the mountains, you know, there'd be hu- these huge snow drifts. And when you're little, you know, even fairly shallow snow, sometimes you can sink up to your hips and you, you just can't even move. So what do you do? Well, when you're little, you follow the footsteps of your parents. You try to step where they stepped and sometimes they have a longer stride so you can't quite get there. You fall a little short. But you are trying to match their footsteps. You're trying to follow their footsteps exactly. That is what we are to do as disciples. We are to follow the footsteps of Christ as exactly as we can by the help of the Holy Spirit. A disciple is a learner. He learns where the Savior has stepped, and he tries to follow. He's a follower of Christ. So the question is, how well are you following? How closely are you following? How exactly are you following? Are you a disciple? Are you a faithful disciple of Christ? You know, if I was going to try to summarize the Lord Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the whole New Testament on what a disciple is, I would define it this way. A disciple is someone who, by God's grace, has repented of their sins, believed the good news that Jesus died for their sins and rose again for their salvation, and has committed their entire lives to following, obeying, and serving Jesus Christ. That's a disciple. And that is our goal, to produce people like that. And again, I say the word produce recognizing that we can't do it It's only the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have the incredible privilege of being the means as the Holy Spirit indwells us and produces his fruit in and then through us. The Lord does this work and we get to be the vessels by which he does it. We get to be his hands and his feet. We get to be his witnesses. We get to be his ambassadors, his servants, his friends. Our goal is to multiply disciples who will bring glory to God. They'll bring glory to God because they are true worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth. You know, it's blatantly obvious, right? You, know, you look at the statistics of how many people in our country claim to believe in God, even claim to be Christians, and then look at their path, and you will see that there are few true worshipers those who worship in spirit and in truth. But true worshipers is what the Father seeks and is what we are to be seeking. John 4.23 says, An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And we get to join in that mission This is God's mission. He is seeking true worshipers, and he sends us out to find them. We get to seek those who will be true worshipers. Well, if a disciple is a committed follower of Jesus Christ, and the singular command of the Great Commission is to make disciples, then the next question is, how do we do it? We We know we're supposed to make disciples. We know what a disciple is. But how do we make disciples? What do we need to do in order to fulfill our mission of multiplying disciples who will glorify God? The Lord has given us instructions. As I mentioned in the Koine Greek text of the Great Commission, the main verb is make disciples. But there are three participles that modify that main verb. Going baptizing, and teaching. Three participles which modify that main verb and give us our instructions as to how we are to make disciples. We're not left in the dark. How do we make disciples? The Lord has told us how. Go, baptize, and teach. Be going to them. Be baptizing them, and be teaching them. Those... Participles, those three participles provide us with three clear steps we need to take in order to make disciples. We must go and share the gospel with the lost. We must then gather those who believe into the fellowship of the local church. And we do that through the initiatory ordinance of baptism. And then we must help the disciples grow by teaching them how to obey everything Christ commanded. So the words go, gather, and grow in our mission statement and in the wonderful logo which Zach uh, created for us. These three three terms are derived directly from the three participles in the Great Commission. And they summarize the three-part strategy the Lord wants us to implement as a church. First of all, we must go we must go. Your mission as a Christian, your duty as a Christian, and your spiritual privilege as a child of God is to take what you learn in here and share it out there. You're, using a military analogy, you're coming here to get ammo and then going out into the spiritual battle You're coming in here to be fed and you're taking what you receive here and you're going out to thirsty and starving souls and you're sharing the water of life and the bread of life with them. You're coming here and scooping up the living water and carrying it to a thirsty world. We gather to worship and then we scatter to evangelize. We're to take what we learn in here and take it out there to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family. In fact, Jesus says that we must go, and he says, Panta ta ethne, to all peoples. We must go, Panta ta ethne. Ethne is, of course, where we get our term ethnicity from. It's referring to all of the peoples, all of the nationalities of the world. We need to take this message to all of them. We must make disciples of all the nations, all the peoples in the world, those scattered around the world, those here in our community, they all need to hear the good news. So we must go, and we must go locally, regionally, and globally. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, look, how can people believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach if they're not sent? Do you understand that you're sent? You are sent. And our goal here is to equip you to be an effective witness, an effective ambassador of Christ. Beloved, the command of Christ should compel us to go. And our compassion for people should compel us to go. They need to hear the good news. They need the water of life. Starving souls need the bread of life. Will you take it and go and give it to them? Are you a goer or are you a sitter? Don't get me wrong, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're there. You're sitting in the pews. You're listening very attentively. Thank you. But I hope you're more than just a sitter. I hope that you're a goer. I hope you're here to load up with the bread and water of life. And you're going to go out this week and share it, pass it on. When I came to Calvary, I said that my vision is the vision of 100 visions. What did I mean by that? I meant that my vision is to mobilize you and help you have a vision for reaching the lost. I want you to have a vision and a passion for the Great Commission. I wanna equip you to fulfill it. I wanna motivate you to go. And my dream is to see believers and members of Calvary Bible Church banding together in teams to go out and take the gospel all over Kalamazoo, Michigan, and around the world. When I came, there's already a, some wonderful missionaries, lots of wonderful missionaries with very committed teams of people doing them. We want to expand that, but to do that, those who are on the sidelines need to get on the field. Those who are sitting need to start going. Those who have, are already going, they're, they're already doing all that they can. What are you doing? Are you in the stands, just an audience, cheering on those who are doing the work of the Great Commission? Are you on the bench? You're willing to fill in if there's a gap? Or are you on the field, giving it your all for Christ? I hope we as a church will have the same level of urgency that Jesus instructed the apostles to have in John 9. He said, we must work Right? This is this is labor to labor of love, but it is labor. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. Right? The time is running out. And while it is still day, while we still have the freedom and the opportunity to do so, we must go. And we must go with urgency. We must go. Secondly, we must gather. We must gather. You know, when someone responds to the gospel message, they become a child of God. The great miracle of the new birth. But, beloved, it is not the Lord's will for newborn spiritual babes in Christ to be left alone in the world as spiritual infants. We must gather them in. We must go to them with the gospel. And when they believe, we must gather them into the loving community of the local church into a church family where they can be nurtured and loved and helped and encouraged. The second participle in the Great Commission tells us that we are to baptize new disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, baptism is one of the two ordinances which Christ has given to the church. The two ordinances are baptism and communion. Baptism is the initiatory ordinance. It's the ordinance by which we welcome a new disciple into the fellowship of the church body it's a way we recognize their profession of faith it's a way that we gather them in to the fellowship and the communion of the church family then communion of course is the way we celebrate that ongoing fellowship on a regular basis and we celebrate and reaffirm our commitment to the lord and to one another so when Jesus said that the second step of the Great Commission is to baptize new disciples, he's reminding us not to leave new converts languishing alone in the world. We are to gather them in to the weekly worship and the loving community of the church family. And we know that we're supposed to bring them in because it says go, baptize them, and then teach them. Well, you can't teach them if they're not even there. You've got to bring them in. How many Christians or those who have made professions of faith are out there churchless, family, spiritual familyless, all alone? We need to gather them in to the loving community of the church. Third, we must grow. We must all grow and help them to grow. When we're born again by grace through faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells us and begins to sanctify us and we are not to remain spiritually immature we're not to languish in spiritual infancy we should be growing second peter 3:18 says grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ all of us should be growing and all of us should be helping others to grow we're warned in hebrews 5 not to remain spiritual infants We're warned in Ephesians four not to remain spiritual children. We are to grow and help each other to grow until we all reach maturity, Ephesians four says, in Christ. Matthew 28, 20, the third participle of the Great Commission says that we are to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded, all of it, the whole counsel of God. We are to teach them to obey so that they can grow. So beloved, that is our mission. Our mission as given to us by Christ in the Great Commission is simply this, to multiply disciples. We are to make disciples by going to them with the gospel, by gathering them into the fellowship of the church via the initiatory ordinance of baptism. And we are to grow, to grow together in the grace and knowledge of Christ by the systematic teaching of God's Word, by fellowship, by mutual edification, by loving and encouraging one another. Now, if we will faithfully do all three of those elements, it will result in a multiplication process, right? Because we'll go and make disciples. We'll gather them into the loving fellowship of the church. We'll teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And what has he commanded? He's commanded them now to go. And so then they will go and the process will repeat and the multiplication of disciples will take place. And the end result is that God will be glorified because there will be more and more true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. That is our mission and our mission statement. Calvary Bible Church exists to multiply disciples who glorify God. How do we do that? By going to all peoples, gathering in community, and growing in Christ. That is our mission. And that is what I pray we will be and do and what I urge you to commit yourself to, to be devoted to, and to take action in order to implement. Lord, we thank you that you have given us such clear instructions. Lord, you have articulated the mission that you have given to your church. We are to make disciples. We thank you for how clear that divine command is. Lord, we're thankful that you didn't leave us in the dark as to how we are to go about it. Lord, you've told us to go to the lost with the gospel. You've told us to gather them into the community of the church by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you have told us to help them grow by teaching them to obey all that you commanded. Lord, may we as a church be committed to your mission. For your mission is our mission and it is our greatest privilege and the greatest desire of our hearts that we would be found faithful by you when you return, having fulfilled the mission you have given to us. And we thank you for including us in it, in Jesus' name.